Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this special five-part podcast series sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, which celebrates Affiliated Monitors' 15 years in business as the first entity specializing in independent integrity monitoring. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in nearly 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this podcast series sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this special five-part series, I'm joined by Mikhail Reeder-Gordon, Managing Director of Global Affairs at Affiliated Monitors, where she draws on her extensive subject matter expertise to manage the monitorships of corporate clients' assets and advise in matters of ethics and compliance. We consider why independence is so critical to monitorships, the ABA guidelines around monitorships, Mikhail's teaching compliance investigations at the International Anti-Corruption Academy. We look at cultural differences between international and domestic monitorships. And we conclude with an evolution of situations requiring a monitor. I know you will enjoy this podcast series. It's a fascinating exploration of multiple issues with a knowledgeable subject matter expert. In this episode one, we discussed why independence in a monitor really matters. This series is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. This conference will now be recorded. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and this episode introduces a five-part podcast series with Mikhail, I hope I got that right, uh, Gordon, on aspects of monitorship. Uh, First of all, uh, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity. So before we get into today's topic, I was wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit about your professional background. Uh, Sure. Very, very briefly. Um, I actually began my professional career at the RAND Corporation. I provided analysis to U.S. government agencies. I took on investigative and crisis management roles with U.S. DOJ and Homeland Security, and uh, then returned to the private sector. Um, I oversaw, actually led anti-piracy investigations for the Motion Picture Association of America, built their first uh, global internet anti-piracy program, and spent a number of years there, and then used all of that experience dealing uh, with investigations of transnational organized crime, money laundering, corruption, uh, piracy, and the intersection of all of those I moved over to uh, to a big four, to Deloitte, uh, advised uh, global corporations, Fortune 100, um, particularly around anti-corruption and fraud, anti-money laundering, um, a lot of technology, some CFIUS work, and uh, then transitioned to become uh, a director of global disputes and investigations at Navigant. And... Um, 
again, focused on regulatory compliance, uh, political cultural challenges where they intersect with the laws and regulations for corporate and institutional ethics, compliance, risk, responsibility, uh, corporate social responsibility and governance, and manage that active uh, litigation and advisory practice. Um, again, Fortune 500, but also uh, local, state, federal, um, and municipalities, uh, local, federal agencies, and uh, a lot of focus on international law. And uh, then was lured to uh, affiliated monitors uh, just a few months ago. Well, we'll talk about uh, you moving over to affiliated monitors uh, in a little bit, but I was wondering, uh, one of the themes throughout my podcast series with affiliated monitors has been an independent integrity monitors. And I wanted to ask you from your professional background, why do you feel that independence in a monitor is so critical going forward? Ah, yeah, this is the lawyer in me that's going to come out. Um, you know, I think we've, we've really seen um, since monitors and the idea of monitorships has, has grown, I think we've really seen regulators select or allow the selection of monitors where their true independence is perhaps dubious. Um, you know, there's a trend toward hiring former colleagues with their agencies or people they have worked with in the past by regulators. And I think I think um, some select believing someone they know may be more sympathetic, whether that is to the enforcement side or the defense side, but selecting monitors who have worked with their former agencies has received uh, some, some well-documented criticism over the years. There's some accusations of cronyism. But you do have to question how independent uh, that monitor can be. Uh, law firms, even big four, and no, no disrespect to my, my former uh, firm, but who want to continue to work with a particular sector or industry may not truly bring independence to a monitorship. Um, you know, we're, we're veering into that, that danger of informal sympathies. Uh, you know, Elena uh, Ledneva, with her encyclopedia of informality, really helped focus attention on the subtle influences that can remove true impartiality and drift into a form of corruption. And, and you know, this is not to suggest any monitors are corrupt, but to underscore that, you know, true neutrals are not as easily come by as may, thought, uh, may be thought. You know, informality such as found in so many of our human relationships, former law school classmates, former work colleagues, friendships, even a similar social background can play such a significant role in allowing dispensations to occur, all of which can impact the success of combating noncompliance. You know, emotion-driven exchanges, um, including values-based practices of solidarity and belonging and the ubiquity of these practiced by insiders is not often, I think you could say, is not often visible to anyone outside and maybe not even consciously understood by those involved themselves. But it can certainly lead to the awarding a monitorship to an individual or firm that's not genuinely independent. And there's such a subtle spectrum here where informality and culture can allow biases to impact the value of the monitoring process before it's even kicked off. Uh, you know, we've seen some recent matters where for a number of reasons the the monitor has not gone the distance and had to be replaced. That's uh, unfortunate. That's, that's unfortunate for the company or entity being monitored. 
Um, it's unfortunate for the regulator uh, and, and the monitor, but at least in some of these, there was a problem with the monitor being insufficiently independent and, and insufficiently strong enough to keep the entity under monitorship on, on track, if you will. Um, so could you it, tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to join AMI? Well, that was actually one of the uh, key attractions for me in joining AMI. Um, you know, it's it, all affiliated monitors does. Uh, we, we are monitors. Uh, we can do it proactively or we can do it at, uh, at the appointment of a regulator, but we don't play favorites. Uh, we don't set out with an agenda. Uh, we certainly don't worry about retaining other business with an industry or company. I mean, we, we're truly organized to be independent. Uh, we don't go into a monitorship to play gotcha or come in with a regulator's mentality, but neither do we come in with an attitude that nothing can be improved. I mean, we, we have found that a remedial approach is very effective, and that was, was particularly attractive to me. I mean, I've spent 25 years in uh, investigations and compliance, and this independence is, is particularly attractive. Um, and it's important to remember that even when a company or individual who under some form of settlement agreement is going to be under a monitor, but who genuinely believes they have done nothing wrong, and, <laughs> and we do encounter those folks, um, that, they, that they, you know, they think they've just been wrongly prosecuted, that there's still room to improve. Um, you know, a company that, that truly holds the belief that because whatever transactions occurred did so at the hands of only one or two individuals, those folks have been removed, therefore the company shouldn't suffer monetary penalties or have a monitor imposed upon them. You know, they can start... They can start with a monitor from a fairly negative place. And one of, one of my jobs, one of AMI's jobs when we serve as monitors, it's, it's the importance of helping them get to an understanding that you know, no compliance program is ever complete. There are always improvements to be made. Um, you know, recognize where changes are occurring, adapt to them. Uh, you know, and this, this comes back to you know, remembering, and, and I think when we, when we deal with general counsel, maybe this isn't as difficult with some, but the letter and the spirit of the law are not static. Um, you know, if you, if you look at how society's attitude has changed with respect to our understanding of privacy law or the Me Too movement, you know, a company's compliance program is in constant evolution. Uh, may be driven by a change in a proposed marketing campaign, a new acquisition or merger, a new product or product line, uh, an expansion into a new territory. Even a change in personnel can prompt revisiting elements of a program. You know, so as, as you well know, uh, compliance and ethics programs need to be growing and changing constantly. So again, back to understanding an ethical culture, where informality can allow uh, certain behaviors to slide into a willingness to cross lines, could be a specific regulation or failing to see that the spirit of the law is really not being fully upheld in a particular entity's environment as it, as it stands when we walk in. So where a company or individual commences being monitored but really doesn't believe that they have done anything wrong, you know, we start, we start at the position, okay, 
you don't have to agree you violated the law, but we can all agree that every compliance and ethics program can be improved. So let's start there and address what changes have to occur that will demonstrate to the outside world, company, to the regulator, that it's now following the terms of the consent order or settlement agreement. Let's, let's get you to that place and, and, and help you to understand the value of constant evolution and compliance and ethics program. Unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I hope you will join us tomorrow for our next episode where we take a look at some of the American Bar Association guidelines on monitors and how that works into how a monitor fulfills uh, their obligation going forward. Uh, Kyle, I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. I do, too. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of our five-part series exploring aspects of monitorships with Mikhail Gordon, Managing Director at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on Affiliated Monitors, check out their website, www.affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you'll join us again for another episode where Mikhail and I take a look at another aspect of monitorships, which is something that you should consider in your compliance program going forward. This five-part series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.